righty, welcome back to another episode of the Wenzel Perspective. Of course, I am Matt Wenzel, alongside my brother Cam. Glad to bring you another episode of Good Sports Debates and Info. So, Cam, but first off, we'll uh, get into the Packers-Vikings recap from this last weekend, and then second segment, we'll dip into some Wisconsin Badger collegiate basketball preview. So, uh, we, uh, we, we happened to watch the first half. We were actually visiting family, and... I didn't get to watch the second half, but I get to our grandparents, and then I see on my phone the Packers lose 28-22, to 22, and I'm thinking, how does Green Bay, a team, the NFC North leader, had everything, just kind of the way it was set up. They played the Vikings well that first game of the year, and then it just – the defense fell apart. And what are your thoughts? I know you're a Viking fan, Cam, and you did have – you did say to me on Sunday as we're watching the game, you did kind of want to see the Packers win just because you're at the point you wanted to see the Vikings go for the draft pick. So are you just kind of shocked on how things transpired in the second half? Um, Yes and no, I guess. Like you said, I did kind of want to see them lose just because they're kind of at the point where, I don't know, it's going to be around a 500 record. That's kind of what they're going to probably finish at, which might be good enough for a playoff spot. Who knows? Um, but that's just going to put them in a tough situation for their draft pick. But like I said, I did kind of want to see them lose for that reason. But in a way, it's always kind of nice to see <laughs> the Vikings get a win over the Packers. Yeah, I'm, and I'm looking at social media and just kind of getting everybody's thoughts. And most people, most Packer fans have basically have been agreed upon the same issues so far. And I'm watching some of the highlights of the second half, the parts of the game I didn't get to see. And just amazing how how badly Dalvin Cook and mainly Dalvin Cook alone had carved up that defensive unit, the front seven for the Packers. And you look back, the Packers never took a defensive lineman in the draft this last year alongside a wide receiver, which they are currently lacking on the offensive end as well. <clears throat> and I know when we go through Packers and Viking stats, we go through individual stats. So again, of course, you have Devontae Adams with seven receptions. Of course, he had all three of Rodgers' touchdowns along with just 53 yards receiving. But you look at their other work from their other receivers, they only had four total catches between four receivers. One catch each from Malik Taylor, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemia St. Brown, and Darius Shepard. So now the lack of a immediate weapon, which lacked from – spending a draft pick on a receiver is currently showing now for that Packer offense. Yeah, it was kind of surprising how well the Vikings actually or the Vikings pass defense actually was. Obviously Devontae Adams is going to be your main concern and with the Vikings banged up secondary, I mean they had like their sixth and seventh corners playing and they still I mean Devontae had three touchdowns, but I mean you only held them to fifty three yards, which you gotta be able to live with. That's pretty good especially since he has been tearing up. I mean, last week he had a career week, so you had to figure against a pretty weak secondary too. But, yeah, I mean, there's not really much to say from the Packers' standpoint. They just got to be better. And this week will be interesting too because now you have potentially your top three running backs out. So how is that going to affect the pass game? Yeah, I, I don't – I, I thought when Brian Gutenkus was hired as the Packers GM, I thought that was going to be a nice needed change because Ted Thompson for a long time was very conservative on 
building together a roster and I thought Gutenkus would have been the main man enough to, to get some of that stuff, you know, rearranged for this, you know, the Packers have consistently been one of the best systems in pro football for the last probably 50 years, even before the Super Bowl era. And it's amazing just some of these little bits and pieces missing bits and pieces that they fail to obtain to be that main, that main team that is literally a consistent Super Bowl threat every year. It, it's just, it's something. And as much as I don't want to go off topic here, I'm going to point out saying, I think a main reason and people may not think of it. People may disagree is the lack of a true ownership with the Packers being the only, I think pro professional sports team in in general, not to have a true owner, which I think lacks because if the people are going to own the team, shouldn't the people have a say in who should be acquired and who should be released? That's just too much of a headache to even go like, think about how that would even work. How are fans and stuff going to be? And how are they going to be knowledgeable enough to do that when, Basically, when you become a part owner, I don't even know what your percentage is. Obviously, it's less than 1%. Exactly. And this is why I don't think the, the Packers should be at that I, level. I don't know why. They need to have one true owner that could actually cut the shit when things go wrong and say, hey, Mark Murphy, or hey, Brian Gutenkus, enough is enough. Time to quit skedaddling around. We need to give Aaron Rodgers a weapon so he can throw to him. It's enough is enough. The guys he has outside of Adams and Lazard and, well, you can probably put Robert Tanyan in there, aren't getting it done. Well, regardless, though, um, it's not the offense. That's the problem. I mean, yeah, they have no weapons. They have no weapons on offense, but yet they still have, like, the fourth highest rated offense in the league. It's their defense. Their defense is in the 20s. I mean, look at that. They can't stop the run game. It's continuous. (laughs) But being in the – the fourth highest or fourth in the league in, in total offense comes from one guy, or I should say two guys if you put, or three guys if you put Rodgers, Jones, and Adams. Yeah, besides yeah, Jamal we, Williams we, and Tanya, there's nobody else. You get that though, but they're still having success without that. If me, if you might as well say, hey, we're doing okay at this spot. Let's focus on the defense where we're below average. Yes, they everyone, need to address both. everyone knows they need a receiver, but nobody's talking about. Oh, I mean, people are, but nobody's talking about. Hey, let's go get a defensive guy. There was, I mean, options that could have been done. I mean, they, they, they tend to need both. I mean, that front seven, I mean, aside from Kenny Clark, I mean, gives up holes big enough for a school bus to drive through. And it's been consistently like well, that for the just, last 10 years. I don't, I don't know. I just don't understand what also they're doing just with their defensive play calls. Cause I, I know I saw some stuff on Twitter. You were going back and forth with some people like, why, why was Preston Smith who, had double digit sacks last year out in coverage on a, on a wide receiver. Like what is, what is that? Why is he not well, on the just, line getting pressure when they, I've been, I've been saying this cam since the days of Dom capers, the Packers need to go back to the four, three, they have better defensive linemen, but they're not getting that needed pressure because the linebacker group is so weak and they've got more linebackers out there than they do defensive line. Dean Lowry is okay. I get that. And, well, Kinsley Kiki, who, by the way, only played 16 out of the 52 total defensive snaps, which is maybe in the 20-some percents, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're missing a defensive lineman that's in their big. It's There's so many little 
things that even these Packer fans or other football fans can just see that's just, just mind blowing stuff that ain't going to get the job done. And as you mentioned, Preston Smith, why is he out in coverage? He is a pass rusher. And the thing is Preston Smith's been very quiet this year. You don't even hear of Preston Smith. I was actually just talking to Jeff Fuchs at work about that today. You haven't even hardly heard his name called any of these games this year. And yet he was what a, like a borderline pro bowler last year. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of the same in my opinion with Zadarius Smith. I mean, he has five sacks, but three of them came in that one game. I'm sure that he is drawing more attention this year than he did last year, but I still think they need him to step up. I mean, like I said, he has five sacks, but three of them came in one game. He was another one that had around 15, I think just under 15 sacks last year. I mean, obviously those two can't be, all the blame because there's nine other guys on the defense, but I don't know. I, I think a big thing was with Blake Martinez leaving really hurt them. I mean, you have a guy that's top five in tackles and he's still producing those numbers, but. Well, and as good of a tackler as Blake Martinez was, most of his tackles came six yards, six, seven yards past the line of scrimmage anyway, because the defensive line just gets carved up. It's it. it I, I just think a, a, I wouldn't maybe just not only say a personnel change, I do maybe think aside from Mike Petton, there could be a, a change needed, but a system change on the defensive side I think is needed and it's been needed. Here's the thing. The Packers leading tacklers year after year with the exception of Martinez has been their defensive backs, their safeties. That's why Morgan Burnett was so busy over the years. He's just like Darnell Savage currently is just like Morgan Burnett. I mean, he's basically leading the team in tackles every week alongside Adrian Amos. Because as you look at Delvin Cook, who went up for 163 yards on the ground on 30 carries, five and a half a carry, you know, carry, that's they were busy. Amos and Savage were the only ones to play every defensive snap for the Packers this weekend. Well, so, and, and the thing is, though, you know, I mean, you're playing against the Vikings. They're a team that is all about the run. You have a quarterback who is struggling. This year, he has 10 turn, ten interceptions alone. So you got to think that you got to focus on the run and trust that your D-backs will be there. I mean, you have solid D-backs with Jair Alexander. I mean, and I mean, the passing game didn't really beat them at all. I think Jefferson and Thielen were held pretty well. Even if you don't go to the 4-3, go to the 4-2-5. I mean, put five defensive backs. That's what I believe LSU does. And they're well this year, obviously minus, but they're more one of the consistent collegiate football teams. I mean, going from that, college to NFL is a little different, though. I don't know. Yeah, that was kind of interesting comparison. But like you, I guess what I should have said, you just mentioned the Packers got solid defensive backs. I know a lot of them are banged up. I mean, you maybe could minus Kevin King out of that that equation because if either way, the Packers are probably missing another consistent cornerback opposite side of Jair Alexander. But they're just there's there's things that need to be changed. I've been saying this the last six seven years. The four the three four needs to go. It's just not. They need a change. It's kind of funny. I know last week we uh you asked me what what my expectations were. Kind of just thoughts about this upcoming game for the Vikings, and I kind of said I had no expectations. It's kind of just a roller coaster of emotions, and yeah, yet again, there goes my emotions back up then. I mean, I I don't know. The Vikings have a pretty relatively easy schedule going forward. I mean, they got both the Packer games out of the way, and that was big grabbing one. So, did I not, did I not say that the Vikings could have a big second half of the year? Yeah, you you did say that. I mean, 
two or three weeks ago, I think I said that. I mean, it's going to be tough to get a playoff spot. I'm not saying I think they will, but I mean, I think it's a possibility. Yeah, you have to worry. You have yeah, to worry about the NFC West teams, but other than that, I mean, the 49ers probably aren't going to be much now with Jimmy G out, George Kittle out, and just still the remaining even injuries. If, even if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, I can still see the Vikings hitting seven and nine or eight and eight, something like that. That that's which, that's the sad part, though. I if they're going to be that, I want them to make the playoffs. Otherwise, they don't. Like, I mean, being eight and eight, not making the playoffs, that's not where you want to be. What happened to wanting to go for the draft pick? That's though? what I'm saying. Like I'm saying, you either gotta either actually make the playoffs or you gotta just go for that draft pick. There can't be this in between yep. stuff. But like I said, it's hard. I mean, you have your still your all pro linebacker out for the year, and then I mean, there was like two three safeties going in or two three D backs going into the game that were out. I mean, you had two three in that game that were out. So I mean, you're just really scraping the bottom of the barrel on your D backs which that was already your weakest position. And, I mean, I think this game might have changed something. I know they probably kind of threw in the towel once they traded Ngakwe, thinking that, you know, the season's kind of over. But, I mean, I guess you never know. I know Zimmer's not going to be the one to throw in the towel. So, Jimmy G, George Kittle, Tevin Coleman, aside from a couple guys on the 49ers defensive side, are all out for Thursday's night's matchup versus the Packers. And currently with the Packers situation, it kind of, if, if anything bodes well for the Packers, this could be it mainly with 49ers being just as shorthanded as Green Bay Just is. as they're way more depleted. They got like a dozen guys out that are significant contributors. I mean, yep. it all depends really on if Jones plays because I mean, the next two, I mean, Williams and Dylan are both out. Then you're scraping your practice squad guys. So I think if Aaron Jones, if Aaron Jones doesn't test positive along with that running back group, I don't know if he was in contact with him, like even on the sidelines or at practice, I think that he's going to play. I, I just don't think the Packers would have a choice. And I mean, because what I, Tyler- yeah, you don't want to say, I mean, the 49ers are a tough team to read. They've been so up and down this year, but you got to think with the injuries they have, that they can't compete, even if the Packers really don't have their running game going. Currently, questionable for the Packers this week. I'll list them up one by one. Rick Wagner, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, and I'll just yeah, name off like key players. Questionables don't always matter. Though. Half the time they do play, more than half the time. Well, it's not whether they're playing, it's whether they're full health or not. Like Tyler Lancaster, Equinemius St. Brown, David Bakhtiari, Raven Green, Kevin King, Aaron Jones, Mason Crosby, Mercedes Lewis, Chris Barnes. And, of course, that's not even saying the COVID guys, A.J. Dillon and uh, Jamal Williams and Jamal Martin. Uh, missing somebody. In this. Yes. So, <laughs> like I said, if this is the weekend that the Packers can actually uh, match up in terms of being a depleted team themselves, this is the this is the week to do it. Yeah, I mean so, – this is definitely a must-win game for them, and it's a they should win. Um, but yeah, I think the 49ers' run game is still good enough. They have five, six guys on their roster that are all quality guys that can run the ball, and you've seen what they've done even with all their injuries. So, I mean, I think the Packers should win, but I wouldn't count out with the 49ers winning. It you know when you you look at the Packers system, it's so hard to say, hey, this is going to be a guaranteed win, or hey, this is going to be a guaranteed loss, because you just don't know what they're going to throw at you. It's so, 
you know, you don't know which Green Bay team you're gonna get. And if you think about it, Aaron Rodgers wasn't the worst. And he still had a QB rating of 71 or an overall rating of 110. He was 27 for 41, 291, and three touchdowns. That's not bad. It's just some of these these other plays, and obviously the defense was one of the biggest reasons why they lost. Uh, I mean, the game so, the game is simply going to come down to can the Packers stop the run? Because you know that's what the 49ers are going to do. They're not going to th- try to throw it too much with Nick Mullins. It's, I mean, it's literally just coming down to the run. I think this is also a big make-or-break weekend. A lot of pressure will be put on Packers management as well as a lot of their impact players now. I mean, this is, a, like as we mentioned, a depleted 49ers team. If anything, with Tevin Coleman out, I assume most are going to be out again. Uh, I'm not sure. Is Jarek McKinnon healthy at all? Uh, yeah, he is, but he hasn't really been getting too many rush touches. He's kind of been more of that third down back. It's more of been hasty. Yep. Hasty and McKinnon. Uh, Jeff Wilson's hurt too. So be, between Hasty and McKinnon, those are the only two healthy backs on San Francisco's team. And if they somehow go off for, you know, a, a running back committee that goes off for five yards a carry or so, off how many carries? Oh, I, I can't wait. I can't imagine what the Packers fan base is going to react to. You know, just saying, "Oh, fire, fire, Petten," or. We need a defensive lineman, kind of like, you know, most of these, most of these calls are starting to get kind of warm in terms of what the fans want. I got like, I got one more quick question before you, before we move on to our next segment. Um, were people too high on the Green Bay Packers? I mean, their schedule has been fairly beneficial to them. That it could have been a little misleading at the start they've had. Yeah, it's kind of hit or miss on that because. You know, I think we went over the Packers schedule one or two episodes ago, and it's kind of a favorable schedule, as you mentioned. It's not really as tough. It's kind of like mid midway on the list of terms of difficulty compared to other teams. So, <laughs> yeah, COVID obviously played a factor. And of course, the many injuries like seems like the Packers have every other year. Um, I think the draft you're, class. You're kind of you're kind of straight away from year, my question here. <laughs> I asked. It's all it's all connected. So let me finish. So with this draft class, it's kind of they're they're just really missing uh, weapons at certain positions that they really could use right now, and that focus on three four years down the road. So my question is, yes, I think they were a little overhyped coming in. You kind of had the thought, well, you looked at the roster and said, hey, this could be another typical Packer year where they get 12, 13 wins. So, you know, a solid year like last year where they were one game away from the from the Super Bowl, but just not enough to, I think, get over the hump because right now there's a lot of – I think there's more good teams in this league this year than there are poor teams. Well, How many teams are 500 or better right, this year? Right. Um, my thing is, though, with like they're looking at what they have done and the remaining games they've had or they have, I think they will finish with, you know, 12, 12-ish wins. 12, 13 wins, but that is going to be a, a misleading count of wins because I don't know. Like, I just think that, I don't know, like the saints, they're still not at full strength and they've had success for what they've had. And I mean, Seattle and basically any of those NFC West teams, do you know what they're going to give you? I mean, I think it's not looking great for the Packers. Yes. It's one game, 
but I don't. I think they have kind of just misled with their schedule, and then I think they still have a pretty fairly easy schedule going forward. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what the next several weeks bring. You know, who knows what other players will be hit with that COVID protocol. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think Jamal Williams being out really does hurt that. So hopefully, you know, you know, they get him back as quick as they can. But, yeah, it's it'll be a rain to be seen. I think the Vikings have been trending upward now the last well, couple weeks. So. I wouldn't say that. But two weeks ago, they just had that embarrassment against Atlanta. I said trending upward. I didn't say that they're a top team. Trending upward is a little bit different. You're saying that they're trending. They're starting to, I think, maybe realize their potential as we get to the halfway point of the year. Right. Well, I guess kind of we've kind of mentioned or talked about it briefly in this, but I guess that kind of just leads into the talk of the NFL trade deadline and the lack of what there was this year. Besides some defensive guys like Avery Williamson, Quan Alexander, there really wasn't a whole lot of, you Des- know, Desmond impactful King. players that got moved. Yeah, Desmond Kane getting moved too from San or L.A. I, 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 you never expect the Packers to make a move because they're never that team that does. But just kind of reading some of these rumors today, I, th- I actually thought the Packers were going to go ahead and make a deal for Will Fuller, which would have been very, very beneficial for for Rodgers too. Takes that pressure off Adams because. Adams' usage rate is through the roof, and I, I just can't see Adams repeating all that, as, no matter how good he is, because defenses are going to start double-teaming him more, seeing that Veldez Scantling's only getting one reception a game, or St. Brown, or Shepard, I saw, the, I saw the mock trade on Twitter. Um, you were kind of opposed to it, and I probably would be too, just because of how high the picks were. But it was the Packers would receive Fuller and Watt, and they would give up. Preston Smith, a first, and I think a third round. I think that's what it was. That was just the right, random right. one. Though. I know, but I mean, I don't think that'd be too bad of a trade. I think, yeah, like I said, the the picks Cam, are too high. Yeah, what was my response to that? Yeah, tweet, you were saying if it was like 2014 or 15 or whatever. Exactly. I don't know. JJ Watt's not JJ Watt anymore. Will Fuller is a good receiver, but he's no, not like a top I'm saying, team. Yeah, like boomer. I'm saying, if the picks weren't as high, like obviously. I think you could get like a third round and a fifth round, not a first and a third. But I, I mean, exactly first and a third and Preston Smith. That's that would be like the wor- one of the worst trades that Brian Gutenkus could possibly do. <laughs> no, but I mean, I don't think JJ. I think JJ Watt would be a good fit. I, I don't think. I don't think he's. It, yeah, I don't think course. his production is done yet. I think just him. I think he just needs a change of scenery. It would be. It, it would I, be risky I, though. I mean, considering just all the health issues he's had. But yeah, right, that I, was that was just a random person's thoughts. Yep. Um, before we end this uh, segment, was there any other final thoughts that you had regarding either the Vikings or the Packers or the trade deadline? Um, no, I don't know. I think that's pretty about pretty much it. Vikings kind of throwing some more up and downs, and same with the Packers, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we can go on and on with this segment for a while, just or other scores with NFL. There's just plenty of NFL to talk about, but we'll kind of keep it what we're at so we can move on to some Badger basketball. So uh, with that being said, we'll uh, move on from that. And uh, when Cam and I return, we will uh, do a little preview of some uh, college basketball. I mean, 
specifically Wisconsin Badgers as basketball season it, it comes around the corner here. So stay with us and we will get that for you. Hey everyone, welcome back. And we're finally on the Wisconsin Badger basketball topic. We haven't really uh, talked about that in a little while here. So uh, we'll kind of get on that. So the Badgers, you, you could probably say that they were, what, an underachieving team, Cam, after, even after winning the Big Ten last year? Yeah, I don't think really many people expected them to pull out that Big Ten championship after kind of a lackluster year, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and it's funny because they got good players but they just didn't get things done. And then, you know, the, the question with head coach Greg guard kind of came into the whole to, fire, the whole fire guard. Yeah. And I've always, I've always been kind of like just self-critical of guard myself. Cause I've always thought like, he's like a really, really good assistant coach. And I think he was really key to Bo Ryan's teams over the years, but also at the same time um, as a head coach, it, I think it might be different for him. But as a recruiter, I think he's shown he's very, very capable. Of- I, I like where their recruiting has been going. They've actually been tossed some higher targets, which is actually – I mean, they're not getting them, but it's nice to see they're trying, putting out the effort. Yeah, yep, that's – exactly. And um, I I do like – I do think that guard's been more uh, – it's more aggressive than even Bo Ryan was on the recruiting trail going after more consistent four and the occasional five-star guy. So, and Wisconsin had its best recruiting class in basketball history this last year, getting a couple four four stars and a couple high three-star guys like the Davis twins out of lacrosse central. And of course you had Steven Kroll as well, uh, as well as Ben Carlson, four-star out of Minnesota. So he's, Guard's been hitting the state of Minnesota and the western part of Wisconsin very heavily. And I think that basically they only lose Brevin Pritzel from last year. And Brevin Pritzel was the occasional starting man at the two, occasional six-man off the bench. So they have most of their weapons coming back, coming off of a Big Ten championship team. So you should say, hey, this is probably the highest that we've had in terms of how you say it – you know, this is a team that this is their highest probably preseason ranking since that 14-15 team when they went to with Kaminsky and Decker. So they've got a lot on the line, I believe. So well, that's, I don't, I don't think they're anywhere near that team, though. No, oh, I, definitely I mean, not. granted, they have their. I think they have the five returning starters. Yeah, they do, unless you don't count um, Brevin Pritzel in there, and you count him as a. Uh, Six man. Six man. But also, like, you for, you can't forget that Lauren Bowman is in there. I know Lauren Bowman was taking a leave of absence. I'm not sure if it was just family-related or COVID-related. So he's been looking – he looked really nice that last year or this, his senior year. So hopefully that's not something that will take him out of the uh, equation in terms of immediate impact. Right. I know. I hope that he can come back because – I don't know. I'm not really a too big of a fan of Brad Davison at the point guard or just a guard in general. I mean, I like Trice, but Davison Davison has just gone down ever since his freshman year. So, yeah, that kind of, that kind of reminded me of 
Sojourn Shelton from the Badgers football team. He was a 2014 or 15 recruit, was a four-star. Pitt Wisconsin over Florida State was good his freshman and sophomore years and just kind of dipped. Now, it kind of you kind of wonder why that is. Maybe it's just they changed their style, but I it's mean, I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. I was say you got to know what you're expecting then out of Johnny Davis that he, you think that he has to contribute right away. And it's, it's so like the schedule f- so far for the Badgers is not official. They actually don't have it out. So basically, the only confirmed games they have so far is the Big Ten ACC Challenge versus Louisville, which should be a very intriguing matchup, both top 25 teams. And I believe the uh, border battle versus Marquette is another official game. But otherwise, the conference schedule and the rest of the non-conference schedule isn't out yet. Pretty sure that has to do with COVID-related stuff because teams are still figuring out procedures and policies and all that good stuff. But otherwise, like I like this roster, Cameron, to be honest with you. I really do. I know Demetric Trice has been kind of up and down the last couple of years, and it seemed like he made more of an impact his freshman and sophomore year. And now he's a fifth-year senior. He should be the captain of this team alongside Brad Davison. You know, it just seems like we're not even this far because Davison's a senior already. It seems like he was still a freshman. I mean, Nate Reavers is a senior. I think Nate Reavers is their best player, to be honest Over with you. Potter? <laughs> Over Potter, right? yes. Because I think Nate Reavers is such more of an impact as an inside-outside threat than Potter is. Potter can hit it from, like, outside 16, 17 feet. And the occasional three, but not as often as Reavers. So that should be – it should be interesting. They've got a mix of both experience and youth. Aleem Ford is a fifth-year senior as well, and he's a good player himself, but he's just so hit or miss. Like a lot I of like, uh, I like with what, what I saw from Tyler Wall in the short amount of time that he got to play last year. Yep. the uh, As a freshman, too, he was a high three-star out of Lakeville, Minnesota. Of course, we got to see his uh, – him and Reavers uh, alma mater at the border battle in lacrosse just earlier this year. So I think that wall will be obviously a part of the rotation as well. So uh, basically it's Greg guard, you know, trying to figure out who's going to be the impactful player in early practices and are going to pick up the minutes that were left behind from Pritzel. So it should I'm kind of, I'm assuming that he probably won't see any minutes if they play because he's technically a walk on, but I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued by what they got with Carter Gilmore. I mean, he was a guy who had D1 offers but chose to do a walk-on at Wisconsin. But, I mean, he's like your power forward that can step out and shoot. And I think he could be a mismatch problem if he gets an opportunity. But, like I said, might need another year or two to actually develop into something. Carter Gilmore gave Patrick Baldwin a handful of tough matchups and versus Arrowhead and Sussex-Hamilton high school matchups. I mean, Carter Gilmore, I think is the real deal. And when I seen that Carter Gilmore chose to become a walk on over D one scholarships, because Carter Gilmore can easily play in the horizon or play in the Mac or other. I mean, I'm, I think he's capable of playing on a, on a big 10 team like Northwestern that while they don't really aren't powerful in a power conference, I think he's good enough to make the roster. I think he is the real deal. And I don't think he, and Cameron, I don't. I think he's too good to redshirt, possibly. But of course, there's so much depth in the team. It's right. hard. To it's, that. He's he's kind of in that awkward. He's like too big for a small forward, but he's kind of a little undersized for a power forward. I mean, he's only six seven, and I don't know if there's too much weight to him. He might be. He might run like two ten, two fifteen. So I think he will need a 
put a little bit of weight on if he wants to be a power forward. Yep. Or if he's going to stick to being a three, then he'd have to, you know, become more mobile than he is. But I think him alongside Jordan Davis will uh, redshirt. I, I, I think Johnny Davis is too good to redshirt. He's got to play. We've seen him a couple times now. He's just. I, I don't even see Jordan Davis playing the next two years. I just don't think he's good enough to even be on the team. I mean, I, I think he does things like defensively, he's not too bad. I know the one time we saw him live this last year, he had a guard, Jalen Suggs. I get that was guarding a top five recruit was, you know, a difficult task. <laughs> so we'll see. I think the competition in practice will give Jordan Davis some of that, that hard nose uh, instincts. Yeah. Right. I I don't I can see him kind of being like a Brad Davison. It's possibly. I think he needs to round out, be more consistent on his offensive game. His shot needs to be a little bit more consistent though too. He's a decent shooter, but he's not a great shooter. And I think he can eventually get past the hump of becoming a more consistent one. I, I you I think there's a lot of good things to look at this roster. They've got plenty plenty of depth in the front court, as we know, their whole front court's back. And then you add Ben Carlson and Stephen Krull, two of probably the four best post players that came out of the state of Minnesota last year. Dane Danger going to Baylor was one. And of course, Dawson Garcia, the five stars at Marquette. So I, of course, if not counting Chet Holmgren as he's currently a senior this year. So I no, think like, like you said, I like their, I like their balance between their experience and their youth because they do have another good recruiting class coming in the following year. So they're going to need some of these younger guys to gain that experience for when they come in. Cause I don't know, obviously you're going to be losing pretty much five starters on after this year. So it's going to be a, a big learning experience for these young guys. And that was basically what happened that 14, 15 year when they lost all that depth, they lost their top seven guys were all seniors that year. So, and then, you know, the following year, I shouldn't say the top seven guys because Nigel Hayes was a, was a junior and Bronson Koenig was a, sophomore right so i don't know i they, it's kinda, still, they, still, they still lost depth though that they had to replace for a team like wisconsin it's kind of similar to like high school basketball wisconsin is at its best when you have your your main guys your f- top five six guys are all your upperclassmen and then you mix in a few a couple underclassmen that's the same as high school basketball that's where you're going to find your success and wisconsin like we all know is not the school that's going to get out go out and get these one and done guys. So this this is the type of formula they want to win. They have their experience and then they have those few young guys to mix in there. Wisconsin still has one scholarship left for the class of 2021. So I I, I really don't hope that they get the and the notion that they're gonna land Patrick Bowman because it's not gonna happen. It, it it's just not. Nah, I, they, they I don't, don't have a shot. If Patrick Baldwin doesn't get a I, – I think Patrick Baldwin, and this is my prediction, is going to go pro. The G League will take the G League contract because he'll get one that's like Jalen Green type money. If not, he goes to college, it'll probably be Duke. So it'll be interesting where they turn to because they got a three-man class so far in 2021, and it's I think it's solid. Not as much as – not in terms of depth, but in terms of talent. I think Chucky Hepburn – was one of the hotter players on the AAU circuit this summer, you know, with all the, everything that happened with COVID related stuff. But Matthew Morris is one of the best players out in the, uh, the mountain West out of South Dakota. And then Chris Hodges is a nice under the radar guy out of Illinois. So that's a pretty solid class. And you think about it, Chucky Hepburn would come on in. Well, of course, depends on what happens with Lauren Bowman. I mean, Chucky Hepburn can come in right away and fill in for Trice. 
Matt Moore. I mean, you could you could both play them at the one and two, but I mean, you got to assume Chucky was a pretty solid four star. So yeah, but he's, he's had number. I think Johnny Davis becomes a clear starter by his sophomore year, though. Too. I mean, you could. I think you could play Davis at the three. I mean, he's six, he's four. six four six five, but I think he I think he has the talent to be there. I mean, I guess it'll be tougher because he uh, he'll be undersized, but hey, you never know. You got to have guys coming off the bench too. Yep, I can I can see more of Hepburn being that starter, and then Bowman being their six man. Granted, what happens with college basketball? Whatever happens with uh, regulations regarding the COVID, this is the year to. To make it or break it, and the Big Ten's gonna be tough as always. Illinois, yeah, Illinois might be, is maybe the best team along with Iowa. Well, yeah, that, isn't there? Isn't Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa all top ten teams? And Michigan State is some have projected as a top ten team as well, even with Michigan State losing uh, uh, the point guard spot. I'm zoning out right now, but you know, because I'm thinking of like Joey Hauser, you know, his him coming Rocket into. Rocket Watson, just they had a class of three or four four star guys coming in for Michigan State this year. So, oh yeah, um, Winston's gone. That's what I was trying to think. Cassius Winston, but Luke Garza, Luca Garza's back for Iowa, which is the Big Ten Player of the Year. So, they're the Big Ten is going to be tough again, and Indiana can maybe swoop in there and do some damage too. So, Wisconsin has to hit that mark this year. They got to be good. They got to show up for every game. They got to. I I think. I think their experience in a year like this is going to benefit them way more than any other school. And it's going to benefit that younger class too, because then they can learn off that, learn how the system goes. So before we, um, I was going to ask you, besides Johnny Davis, do you see guys like Ben Carlson, and depending on what happens with Lauren Bowman? making an impact early off the bench as freshman for Wisconsin? Um, I don't know. I can kind of see Ben Carlson taking the route that Tyler Wall did last year. Might not see too much early in the year. And then towards the second half of the season, if there if there is that, I can see him contributing a little bit in that sense. And then, I don't know, kind of the same with Lauren Brown. I think if he's there, if he comes back, <laughs> yeah, uh, if he's back, I think I can see him – Grabbing a few minutes a game, like five to ten minutes a game, if they need. I hope. I hope he everything goes well. I really want to see him play. I watching some of his highlights. I mean, him and Chucky Hepburn are almost kind of similar. I I, I think he's was severely underranked as a three star. I think he is a mid four star guy, like a, a player that would be ranked in the fifties or sixties in the nation. I, I think that Wisconsin got a steal, and I hope he we do see him in a Badger jersey. So it's be tough to say, but right. otherwise, you you got Trev Anderson now as a senior too, a fifth year senior, and you know that'll have a little bit of depth in the uh, the backcourt. You know, I don't, I don't. He doesn't really give you too much though. He's kind of no, but I mean, as a senior, he'll see the minutes because he's got the experience. I think he's kind of like a Zach Showalter. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Showalter did play a lot his his last year, so true. But uh. Yeah, hopefully we'll see what the rest of the schedule looks like. Hopefully they start to kind of really, really build up the non-conference schedule. I've always never been a fan of how they schedule non-conference games. I think it's been so weak. And me being a Kansas Jayhawk fan, Kansas is always is always consistently scheduling big. Like they've got Kentucky, Gonzaga. They've got Tennessee this year among just a few teams. That's the type of schools Wisconsin needs to really 
really get down. And I think that would eventually pay off come March Madness. But otherwise, is there any other Badger basketball stuff that you'd like to address? No, I think we got her. All righty. So hopefully soon enough we'll get to see what the Badger schedule will look like this this winter. But otherwise, uh, with that being said, I think we'll uh, we'll wrap things up. So that will probably do it for us, and hopefully uh, we'll get our next episode out soon. And uh, everybody take care, and we'll see you for the next episode.